Amen. Keep your hearts in that place of openness, prepared for what Jesus might want to do today in breaking chains that you need broken. Um, have you ever had a uh, change of perspective? Your eyes get open and it's like just this immediate shift and a change of perspective. That happened for me uh, this week. Sarah and I got to go on our, uh, our Valentine's date this week. And uh, it was on, we actually went on Tuesday night because of these uh, tickets to a concert that we've had for like months, all right? And it's Sarah's favorite singer from when she was growing up. And uh, like her and her high school friends used to listen to this person constantly. And uh, so, so we went to go see uh, Celine Dion. Come on. Yes. All right. Some Celine fans in the house. Uh, I have to be honest, y'all. Okay. Uh, I was not feeling the Celine Dion concert beforehand. You know, I was like, that. That makes me feel really old, okay? And we're going into the concert. We're standing in line, and I'm looking around. I'm like, man, there are a lot of old <laughs> couples <laughs> up in here. And so I'm, like, trying to make jokes about it, and I'm kind of mocking it, and she's being very patient with me the whole time. And uh, so I'm, like, too cool for Celine. And uh, we get about halfway through the first song, and I'm like, I was wrong, y'all. <laughs> This woman is amazing, all right? I was in for the whole rest of the concert, you know. After the encore, I'm like, one more song. It was great, all right? But have you ever had one of those moments where it's like a, a shift in perspective, eyes open, you begin to see things in a, in a brand new way. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, we're in a story in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be talking about this miracle story uh, of Jesus in Mark chapter 10. So through this series, uh, we've been looking at Jesus people, moving with Jesus through the Gospels and looking at the lives of these people that he encounters, that he interacts with. And after he crosses their paths, they are changed forever. So we're looking at Jesus through that because the story is always about Jesus. All right. The overarching story, it's always about him. But we're also looking at these individuals that Jesus interacts with because they show us something of who we want to be when we encounter Jesus. We want to be people like them. We want to be people who are marked by and who embody all out surrender to Jesus. And so that's what we're looking at today. It's a, it's a man uh, who's known um, most of the time. He's simply known as blind Bartimaeus. All right. So we're looking at his story in Mark chapter 10. Let's read this together, uh, starting with verse 46, and we're going to go through uh, verse 52. Here's what it says. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, 
call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you, which I think is hilarious because these are the same people who are like, be quiet. All right, shut up. Like, don't interrupt Jesus. And Jesus is like, call him. Hey, come on, buddy. All right, I'll go with you. I'll walk you over there. It's your lucky day, okay? Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Imagine being asked that question by Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, teacher, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Jesus, as we dig into your word today and into this story that is about you, we pray that we would encounter you in the same kind of way. That there would be breakthrough for people. That chains would be broken. That the, these desires, deep desires of our heart, these longings of our hearts, when you ask us that question, what is it that you really want? What is it that you want most? We pray that you would dig down beneath the surface things that we say that we want and get to the root about what that need is and the deepest need beneath those desires that we're saying we're expressing. And we pray that you would intervene. Intervene and move in a way that only you can move. We're open to it. We're listening. So your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to just move through this uh, story and uh, look at several important statements that are made and several important lines here uh, and just move through the story bit by bit. OK, so we're going to begin uh, with that first verse and that first statement that it says here. It says, then they came to Jericho. Then they came to Jericho. Seems like a very uh, simple beginning to the next part of a story. One, just a line that's used to kind of transition you from one story to the next and really simple. Okay, so they were in this place and now they're in a new place. And it's very easy for us in our day and time to read the Gospels in that way. Sometimes the, the names of the cities and the settings that were given don't mean as much to us. But we have to do the hard work of context on this and begin to dig into the context. And what was it like for the original hearers and readers of these stories? What did it mean to them? And how does that speak to us today? And so that statement that's made seems like a throwaway line, but it's really not. It's not. There, there is deep significance in this setting that is given for this story. Then they came to Jericho. And this story is happening in this city called Jericho. So Jericho is uh, to this day the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world. There's so much history to that city in the day and time in which we're living, but also in their day and time. So when they hear the name Jericho mentioned, they think about the history 
of this city and the way that the history of this city interacts with their own history. And immediately their minds would have gone back to this significant Old Testament story of Joshua's famous victory at the city of Jericho. Does anybody know that story? What happens in that story? Somebody call it out. Go, Robert. The walls fall down. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's after God has led his people out of slavery in Egypt through Moses. Then he leads them uh, through the 40 years of the wilderness. And now Joshua is leading them into the promise that God had given them, into the promised land. But Jericho stands as this barrier for them and stands as this symbol of impossibility for them. The walls of Jericho were were famously fortified, and there was no way for them to get through that. It was a symbol of impossibility standing between them and what God had promised them. And yet God moves for them in a way that only God could move. He does the impossible for them. And so he gives them this this, uh, act of trust that he wants out of them that to us looks like total nonsense, It's not a great military strategy. I wouldn't feel really comfortable about this as a military strategy, but God asks them to do this, and it involves walking around the city, praying around the city, walking around the city, and then like shouting and blowing horns and things like that. And what happens when they do that in this act of trust of what looks like human actions of nonsense? God's power intervenes, and these walls that were impossibility for them, collapse through the power of God. And he brings those walls to the ground. This fortified city whose walls come crashing down by this action that looks like nonsense, this act of trust that looks like nonsense, but the divine intervention of God displaying his immense power. An obstacle impossible to break down becomes rubble and ruin. And when the dust settles, the wreckage of overcome obstacles becomes a monument to the impossible and what God is able to do. So for the rest of their history, that's how they remember Jericho. They always point back to that moment. And that is the backdrop to the story that we get today. It seems like a throwaway line like a meaningless transition point, but it's so much more. That's the backdrop to the story. And as we move deeper into the story, we see why that is such a significant backdrop. And so it's telling us from the very beginning what God is about to do. The next piece that stands out to me that I think is uh, interesting and important is that we get this line here uh, identifying the blind man. It says, a blind man, Bartimaeus. A blind man, Bartimaeus. I think this is significant because the gospel writer Mark gives him a name. Tells us the name of Bartimaeus. And most of the time, Mark doesn't give us the names of the people that encounter Jesus in these miraculous ways. We're not really told their name. We're not given much identity about them except what Jesus does for them. And the other gospel writers, they talk about blind men who get healed, and Mark talks about another blind man who gets healed even, and we're not given their names. We're just told that they are blind men. But here we're given a name, and I think that's significant for us. I think we should pause there and realize what this means. 
It means that Jesus sees you. It means that your identity is more than what you think that one thing attached to you is. He sees through that and he sees who you are. And he calls you by your name. You have a name to him. And he sees you. It's not just the condition that had defined him in the eyes of so many other people. No, he has a name. Not just a blind man, but a person with a name, with a life. We're given a family background, Bar, uh, uh, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. The word Bar, it means son. So when it's connect, connected to that, it's like our friend Gilson. Where's Gilson? Yeah, everybody give it up for Gilson. Yes. Gilson is named after his father, who goes by Gil, and he's Gil's son. All right? That's it. <laughs> Gilson's son of Gil. Okay? Son of Gloin. All right. Amazing. Uh, I just had to get a Lord of the Rings reference in there. That's what that whole part was about. Okay? Awesome. Just kidding. Awesome. I like embarrassing people. Okay. Um, myself, mostly. Um, so this is so, this is so significant, all right? It's not just the condition that defines him in the eyes of so many other people, but instead he's given a name. And Jesus is saying the same thing to you. You might feel invisible. You might feel like people don't see you or they only know you by the greatest failure of your life, by this thing that seems to follow you around everywhere you go. He sees through that. He sees to the core of who you are. He sees you. And he loves you. He sees you. So another piece that's really important here is not just the name, but also the condition that is a part of who he is. Blindness is important in this story, obviously, but it's an important theme throughout the whole gospel of Mark and throughout all of the gospels. It becomes an important theme. And so for Mark, it's important because he has two separate stories of Jesus healing people who were blind. But it's not just that the two stories are about Jesus healing blind people. It's also the fact that both times these stories are actually also connected to stories of the disciples where the disciples fail to see. The disciples fail to perceive who Jesus is is and the reality of the mission that Jesus has come to accomplish. And so Mark does this intentionally. These writers are brilliant. You may think about because of the day and time in which they live, you may think it's, it's so simple, but there's so much depth and brilliance to this writing. He does this on purpose. So twice he connects the failure of the disciples to see with Jesus healing the blindness of a person. He's come to open our eyes. He's come to open our eyes. And the first instance is connected to uh, when Peter says, when Jesus uh, says what he has come to do in the mission and that he's gonna lay down his life. And Peter says, no, we're not gonna let that happen. I won't let that happen to you. It's connected to that same. And Jesus says, you don't get it. You still aren't seeing why I have come. And in this, it's connected to another failure to see on the part of the disciples. We're going to get into that a little bit later. So both times, it's immediately tied to stories of the disciples and their failure to perceive. So blindness is an important 
theme. And maybe today there's some blindness that you have. There's some blind spots that you have that he's going to break through on and open your eyes to it. The next piece is this. Uh, it's, it's another part that's a little bit about uh, the setting and a little bit giving us just the sense of the story here. And it says that Bartimaeus is sitting by the roadside, sitting by the roadside. So here he is on this road in and out of Jericho, this significant city, this large city and significant city. And he's sitting by the roadside here so that on the way into this, to the city, Jesus encounters Bartimaeus. Due to his situation and the fact that he was blind, he was unable to work in this culture. He was unable to provide for himself. He was unable in the minds of the people of this society. He was unable to produce, and therefore society had cast him aside. And because there was no place for him in that society, and because he had been cast aside, and in the minds of many of the people, they saw his blindness as a direct curse from God. And they saw his blindness as a distance between him and God. Heartbreaking, and yet convicting that oftentimes we still get caught in the same old trap. More about that later. But the society had cast him aside. And so what he has to do is he's forced to sit here by the roadside and beg and depend on the compassion of the people who are passing by. So he's set up on the roadside because this was a strategic location for him. In a city like Jericho, this would have been a really strategic location. You have the business people who are coming in and out. And so it's the center of business. And so people are coming from other cities to do business in Jericho. And so these people with these rich resources passing by. And so he's set up to ask for their compassion and ask for their help. Their little coins of compassion that they might toss his way as they go by. The merchants who are coming into the city to do business, the travelers who are coming in and out. So he's up right there. Many of those who are coming in and out, they would not have known him. They didn't see him every day. If you're traveling in and out of the city, they wouldn't have seen him every day or heard his story before. And so maybe their hearts would have been a little bit more open in compassion towards him. So it's really significant that he's set up in this spot. Also, at key times, in the, in the life of this community. Uh, at key times, key religious moments, people would have been making religious pilgrimages to the temple uh, for specific and important feasts that they would have been celebrating in Jerusalem. So being set up by the roadside in that moment would have also been a very strategic location to get the compassion of these people who are coming to and from moments of worship, right? Where their hearts might be a little bit more open as they're in that mind frame, mindset. So the combination of this made it a really wise and strategic spot for him to be set up in collecting the resources and the compassion of the people. Also, it happens to be on this day, right in the pathway of Jesus, which was his most strategic move yet. And it changed his life. 
as he's calling out to Jesus, loudly calling out. Again, you gotta understand this is a city setting and there's crowds of people around Jesus. So for him to be heard by Jesus in this moment, he has to be shouting at the top of his lungs. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people around Jesus and the people who have crowded to see Jesus are trying to get him to be quiet and not interrupt what Jesus is doing. This is God's work that is happening over here. Stay out of it. Don't interrupt that. The locals knew him and they had him figured out and they wanted to shut him down because they knew what he was trying to do. The business leaders probably time and time again had said Bartimaeus is bad for business. People don't want to come this way and do business because they they have to see Bartimaeus, and that's a bother, and he's hurting my business by being here. Move along. Go further down the street, not in front of my business. The political leaders of the community said he was a public image problem. That as people are coming in to downtown Jericho, people don't want to see that. So let's move him out of the way. I'm not saying let's help him. I'm just saying let's move him out of the way so people don't have to think about it when they're coming in to do business. And the parents just knew he was dangerous. And they said to their kids as they were passing by, don't look, don't speak, definitely don't touch, keep moving, and don't ask me questions about why he's there. Please don't ask me questions about why he's there and what we might be able to do about it. And the young idealists of the community and of the city, they said he should get a job because they're going to have to find a job. Job market's tough for all of us. Should get a job. Or somebody somewhere should do something to help him. Not me. I'm, I'm a little too tied up with what I have going on. But somebody somewhere should help him. But Jesus said, call him and bring him to me. I want to see him. I want to speak to him. I don't want him to be isolated. I don't want him to be invisible. I don't want you to move him out of my way. I want to see him. I want to speak with him. And so cheer up, Bartimaeus. Come on, Jesus wants to see him. This story, hopefully, we're all feeling that this is a critique of us. It's a critique of every one of us. We haven't even got to the miracle part yet, y'all. But all of the social setting that's going on here, this is our story. This is our story. We encounter this every single Sunday when we're coming into church. We encounter this every day when we're living in this community. This is our story. And it's a critique of every single one of us. And nobody escapes the critique today. And so we walk away from this with this sense, okay, my eyes are open now. 
I want to see people in a different light, and I want to treat people in the same way that Jesus treated them. So I want to begin to see Bartimaeus now. I want to have my eyes open so I can see Bartimaeus so that I can help Bartimaeus. But here's the thing. You're not Jesus in the story. (laughs) Should you treat people more like Jesus treated them? Absolutely. Absolutely. But is that what this story is about? No, it's not. This story isn't saying, hey, treat people better. This story is saying, actually, you're blind to the fact that you are Bartimaeus. It's not about how you're treating Bartimaeus. It's the realization that you are Bartimaeus and that I and Bartimaeus. And every single one of us is in a place of desperation and in desperate need of Jesus. There is a specific group of people today who should relate directly to Bartimaeus, and we're called human beings. Every single one of us should find ourselves in Bartimaeus's story today. And we all have that place of desperation and the reality of the desperation. As the story moves on, uh, it says that he, he threw his cloak aside. Throwing his cloak aside, Bartimaeus ran to Jesus when Jesus called for him. Throwing his cloak aside. Again, this might seem like just a little kind of detail that they put into the story to add a little flavor to it, but it's not just that. There's something significant that's happening. Uh, the way that a, a person who have, would have been sitting beside the road in this place of begging and relying on the compassion of the people walking by him, what likely would have been happening in this day is, is his cloak would have been one of his only possessions in his life. And he would have been sitting on it to give him just a little bit of comfort from sitting on the ground. And he would have had part of the cloak up wrapped around his lap and forming a bit of a pouch in the way that he would have arranged his cloak. Forming a bit of a pouch so that people could drop coins in it. A little bit of a pocket there for people to drop the coins in. And he would hear the ringing and he would feel the coins landing in his lap and he would be grateful for the compassion. This cloak is probably one of his few possessions. And he had been sitting there and receiving that compassion of people who walked by. And yet when he meets Jesus, it says he threw his cloak aside and ran to Jesus. Can't you just see it? Can't you just hear it? Like those coins just flying and and bouncing and, and clanging as he's throwing all of that aside and he's running after Jesus. He leaves it behind and makes his way to the one person who can do what he needs for him. And then Jesus asks this significant question. And this is the most important thing we're gonna see today. Jesus asks this significant question. What is it that you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Imagine for just a minute, you're standing face to face with Jesus himself. All right, the rumors had reached him. He knew who Jesus was. He knew all of the stories swirling around Jesus. He knew that he was the only one that could help him. And here he is face to face with Jesus and he hears Jesus say, what do you want me to do for you? I want you to pause just a minute and imagine how you would answer that question. We're going to give just a very short moment of silence here. And I want you to ponder that. I want you to think about that. Jesus is standing in front of you and he's asking you that question. How do you answer? How do you answer?
Hang on to that. Hang on to that as we keep moving here. Imagine that opportunity. Would you dare miss that opportunity? No. No, you maybe in your mind you're prioritizing all of the different things that you would ask Jesus. But in that moment of prioritizing something that emerges to the surface and you would not miss that opportunity. Can you imagine missing that? It's completely possible to miss it. And we know because Jesus' disciples had just missed it the passage before. This is the second time in the same chapter that Jesus asks that exact same question. The first time he asks it to his own disciples. James and John, it says, have come to him, and they've said, Jesus, we've been talking. We're two of the, of the first disciples that you called, James and John being brothers, and, and two of the first of the disciples that Jesus called. And they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus asked them that exact question. What is it that you want me to do for you? And they completely miss the point. They completely miss it. And what do they say? Their answer is this. Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, when everything is coming together for you, when you're elevated to this place of your kingdom, we want to sit on either side of you in your reign. Put us, these two brothers, on either side of you as you sit down on your throne of this kingdom. Now remember, these two disciples are a part of 12 disciples. So they've gone behind the backs of the other disciples, this brotherhood that Jesus has formed. They've gone behind the backs of these other disciples, pulled Jesus aside and said, we want you to do something for us, not for them. And what is it that we want you to do? Please elevate us above everybody else, especially these other 10 guys, all right? Especially them, Elevate us above everybody else and just slightly beneath you. They completely miss it. They have missed Jesus' description and vision of what the kingdom of God looks like at every single turn. They have been blind to it the entire way. And here they are standing face to face with Jesus, just the two of them and Jesus. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they miss it because their hearts are not aligned with his. And then in the very next passage, we get this beautiful description of what it looks like to have your heart aligned with Jesus. And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. I want to see. And Jesus says, go. Your faith has healed you. And it says, immediately Bartimaeus received his sight and began following Jesus, this prayer of I want to see, it's a direct reflection of God's heart and of the way that Jesus has articulated his vision for the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God looks like. In Luke chapter four, when Jesus stands to give his first sermon, he specifically quotes Isaiah 61. And he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bring sight to the blind freedom for the captives, and release for those who are oppressed. Bartimaeus is directly in line with that. And he says, I want to see. And Jesus says, that is what I've come to do. You get it. That is what I've come to do. 
Remember the walls at the beginning that we talked about of Jericho? Once again, in this moment, the walls crumble. And these barriers of impossibility are turned into rubble and ruin. And the eyes of Bartimaeus are miraculously opened. And he is able to see through the power of God. It's beautiful. Jericho still stands today as a monument to the impossible crumbling into the possible. And every time we hear the name of that city, we should think about that. When small faith and odd acts of trust are joined together with the power of God, and we see what is possible. Bartimaeus teaches us this, that Jesus' people still believe that the walls can break down when God breaks through. Jesus' people still believe that the walls can break down when God breaks through. As we close today and move into communion, we're going to really strongly invite you today. Maybe after you've participated in communion, maybe before. There'll be people down front or in the back who are available to pray with you. And there are some of you who need someone to pray with you around that question of Jesus saying to you, what do you want me to do for you? What are the walls that need to be broken down? What are the places where you need God to break through? I want to challenge you to lean into that and to believe that God can do it. God can do it. Get your heart in a place of surrender to make sure that it's in alignment with the heart of God. Jesus didn't answer the prayer of the disciples. Their heart was not in the right place. I want to be really careful with what I just said right there, okay? I'm not saying that there's some kind of trick of, okay, you got your heart in the right place. Now God's going to do whatever it is you're asking, okay? It's always his will, okay? When we ask in his name, we're saying you're the king, right? And the king's name is over that, okay? His name is over it and his will is over it, okay? But God is desiring, I sense that God is desiring to break through walls today for people. And we still believe that that can happen. That he can turn the impossible into the possible. We believe in that. So we're going to invite you today, if you need prayer and you want someone to engage with you on that, then please come forward and do that. And even as we share in communion, we're reminded of the ultimate moment of that reality. Jesus gathered with his disciples around the table, those who had not been able to see the full vision of the reality of the kingdom who missed it time and time again. And now he shows them in a way that they can see with their own eyes, that they can hold with their hands, that they're about to taste with their mouths. And he says, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like God himself being broken to make you whole. And it looks like God himself pouring out his own blood 
for the forgiveness of sin, for the reconciliation of the world. He invites us to share in that, to embrace what he has done for us. The breaking of his body ends up becoming the breaking of the walls for us and the breakthrough of God in our lives. We invite you to come and to participate in that today. There'll be two stations, one on this side. There'll be a gluten-free option available here if you need that, and one on that side as well. And as you come forward to participate and to embrace what Jesus has done for you in communion, also remember that prayer is always available for you every Sunday, and especially this Sunday. Lean into that with him. What are the walls that need to break down? What are the places where you need God to break through? This is your church family. Let's lean in that together and let's share that burden together. Come.